Welcome to Sparks right. of History, where world history and Jewish history meet. We are very pleased today. Professor Harris. Professor Harris is Professor Emerita at the Department of English, University of Kansas. She has authored numerous works, including God's Arbiters, Americans in the Philippines, Annie Adams Fields, Mary Gaston Drew, and the work of the late 19th century hostess, the courtship of Olivia Langford Mark Twain, Mark Escape Time, a study of patterns and images, as well as many, many other works. And today we will talk about the one and only Mark Twain, Professor Harris's book, which is over here, Mark Twain, The World and Me, which I'm sure as I purchased it can be purchased at Amazon. Um, and um, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, let's get started. Uh, how did you become interested? So, Ari, let me intro first because Please. you were skipping as you spoke, according to my ear. Okay. So, if I'm skipping while you're hearing me, we may have to start over. You're not skipping. Okay. Let's go then. And, and, and you're the more important part anyway. My questions, I can always, <laughs> I got to do my part again, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> okay, great. Um, first of all, how did you become interested in Mark Twain? Well, you know, that's, that's a story, right? I did not start out being interested in Mark Twain. I was a graduate student. I loved Melville. That was my passion. But when it came to dissertation time, my committee said, don't do a one-figure dissertation. Choose somebody else. And so I chose Mark Twain. And what happened with that is as I wrote the dissertation, and then as I wrote my first book afterwards, I became increasingly interested in Twain. So I veered away <clears throat> from the complexities of Herman Melville to the more elusive complexities of Mark Twain. And, and that's how it all started. By the time I'd finished the first book, I was basically hooked. And so you've obviously read Mark Twain many, many, many times. That was 35, 40 years ago. And so I've been teaching, I've been writing, I've been thinking, I've been listening to other people's work and reading it. Yeah, he's been a kind of envelope for my life. He's always there. And, and what, what made Twain such a unique figure during his own lifetime? I'm assuming from my reading that he was extremely popular. He wrote for popular magazines. He was all over the place. What made him so unique during his own lifetime? That's, that's a question that has multiple facets 
to its answer. Uh, first, you have to think about his context, both his literary context and his cultural context. Um, his literary education was kind of all over the map. He, first of all, was a voracious reader and he was steeped in Shakespeare and the King James Bible by the time he was 15 with large passages memorized. But he also read much other European literature like Don Quixote, which became kind of part of his own personal literary toolkit. Um, but you also have to think about, and what a lot of people don't think about, is his uniquely United States context. So he's born in 1835. All through that early period, for between the end of revolution and about 1850, when we started having the lead up to the Civil War, American writers, and this includes newspapers, magazines, as well as essayists and novelists, they were all trying to figure out how to portray the differentness, the uniqueness of this new country. And um, there arose, among other things, a group of writers who focused on the particularities of different groups. So one of the things that made the US unique during that period was even then the diversity of its population. Native Americans, African Americans, whites from every part of Europe, emerging immigration from China and Japan, right? although that actually came a little bit later. So how to portray that in a way that creates a national literature? because that was the call, create a national literature, the National Review, North American Review, sorry, North American Review. That was its major call. So a group arose who basically focused on orality. And these are people like, first of all, I think for Twain, when he was young, especially, and growing up in Missouri, which was a slave state, he knew many African-Americans, and he listened to all the African-American folktales as they were told around the fireside at night. So that's one strain. If you think of him reading Shakespeare, but also listening to stories he would later convert into things like the man with the golden arm, right? Scary stories. But also, as he was growing and testing his wings as a writer, he was surrounded, and this is after he went west, 
by a group of superb, uh, we call them local, local color tale writers, but they were more than that. So you get people like T.B. Thorpe, who wrote a fabulous short story, very funny, called The Big Bear of Arkansas. You get George Washington Harris's Sutton Loving Goods stories. Uh, and then later, the people around Twain, Dan DeQuille, Artemis Ward, Brett Hart, they're all dealing with vernacular U.S. in one form or another. So he, he has a tremendous, from what you're saying, he had, had a tremendous curiosity and the ability to, to listen before he wrote, before he spoke, he was a, a listener and with a curiosity. He was a listener and with a very keen ear for how people spoke. So one thing that he did, and I think this is where he is transformative, is up to Huckleberry Finn, the traditional way to communicate vernacular characters is with a frame narrator. You start with somebody who speaks standard English, who's obviously genteel, and who then introduces you to this strange character I met on a steamship or in the woods or whatever. And then the narration is given over to that character, who's usually a dialect speaking character of some sort or another. And then at the end of the tale, the mainstream character, the mainstream narrator takes it back. So the reader is buffered from the vernacular by this framing narrator. And Twain started that way. So the jumping frog of Calaveras County, which was his breakthrough short story, has his vernacular character up against a, a straight talking narrator. And Tom Sawyer does the same thing. There's an adult narrating and telling us how we should feel about things. But Huckleberry Finn, no frame. Huck speaks to us from the depths of his dialogue, dialect and from his own vernacular values. And I think that's what Hemingway meant when he said, all real modern American literature comes from one book, Huckleberry Finn, because it's that technical difference. So Twain was listening, he was curious, he was recording, and then he was writing. What did he see in, in, in America and American destiny? what you described in the beginning of the whole melting pot that others didn't see. I think many people, many writers especially, appreciated the diversity of American life. That's why they published so many of these stories that focused on 
ethnic groups from all over, including just the American South. Twain appreciated it. You know, it's not exactly it. He didn't necessarily appreciate the diversity, at least at first. He, he came, for instance, when he was 18, he came to New York for the first time. And his letters home show, you know, he didn't like the immigrants. He didn't like the dirty kids in the street. He didn't like the African-Americans. You know, he, he had all the prejudices of a kid from a small town in the Midwest. And he was vocal about it. But over time, he changed, which is one of the things I really appreciate about him, that he could change his mind. And as he became more and more cosmopolitan, more and more experience, met more and more people of different stripes, he began to reevaluate some of his own basic assumptions. And so he changed. As, as he became more popular, was uh, he on some kind of a mission um, get a certain picture of the United States out to the world at large. He did a lot of, obviously, in your book, as you trace some of his steps, and did eventually a lot of traveling. He was an international. Was that part of what he saw as his, perhaps his mission, his own unique destiny within the American destiny? I'm not sure he felt he had a destiny at first. That's takes a lot of hubris for a young writer <laughs> to think, I have a destiny. I am all of 20 years old. Um, although you do write, meet them in writing classes. Um, he wrote five travelogues. He was probably better known for his travelogues in his time than now, than for his novels. Now we think of him in terms of Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. But then he was thought of in terms of Innocence Abroad and some of the sketchbooks from Europe. In a way, he invented, he and in a different mode, Henry James, invented the American in Europe, the American tourist, the traveler. And I remember when I first read Innocence Abroad, which is about his first tour, and he was actually part of one of the very first organized tours in the United States. The tour took him to Europe and the Holy Land. And honestly, it was as good then, I probably read it 40, 50 years ago, but I was sitting there on the sofa laughing because the portrait of the bumbling American, the often Philistine American, and his encounters with European guides, European shopkeepers, was terrific. It's still true, or it was 50 years ago. Now Europe's become so Americanized, you can't tell the difference. 